Welcome to Between the Lines, a new addition to the Props and Hops podcast family. I'm your host, Matt Landis, joined this week by my co-host, professional better Fabian Summer. Fabian, welcome to Between the Lines. Matt, I'm absolutely stoked to be here. I'm pretty excited also about our launch today. And um, yeah, I can't wait to talk some football. Right there with you. I'm excited to get into our show concept, what we'll be talking about with NFL line moves every Wednesday this season. Also, of course, using this occasion to introduce the hops to the show. But first things first, we've got an advertising partner on board with our debut episode. So I want to let everybody know that this episode is sponsored by the Power Ranks Sports Betting Newsletter. Valuable, concise, and entertaining. These are Dr. Ed Fang's three goals with each correspondence, which mostly covers the NFL and college football. Ed is a friend of both of ours, Zuma, as well as a fellow fan yes. of craft beer and the old-fashioned. He's also a data scientist whose work has informed my betting over the years. So go ahead and check out his newsletter at thepowerrank.com and join me as a subscriber. Now, Fabian, with this being part of the Props and Hops family, there's a chance to work with you to introduce the hops in a major way. Let's kick it off by finding out what you're drinking tonight. Today, I've got a German beer. It's called uh, Frü Kölsch. I think um, Americans will probably have some issues with the U and the Ö. Uh, it's basically a very famous uh, beer from the city of Cologne. And the German name of the city is Köln. And I think since the 13th century, the Kölsch uh, gets brewed there in Cologne. I love it. Well, I'll let you know that without the proper pronunciation, I've got a Kölsch in hand as well. <laughs> Let's get this on camera here. It is called Rough Translation. It's a cheeky style Kölsch, as they dub it over at Green Cheek Beer Company in Orange, California. As the name implies, it's their best attempt at translating the Kölsch style from across <laughs> the world, given that... You know, you're out in the neck of the woods of the Kolsch's birthplace in Germany. This one, really nice and refreshing, 4.6% ABV. I do get some subtle notes of fresh baked bread when I've had it in the past. Overall, though, simply light, clean, crisp, and refreshing. A perfect beer for our debut episode is it's still morning here as I'm recording out in LA. <laughs> so a good breakfast beer, if you will. Suma. Cheers, man. Cheers, man. <laughs> All right, I think this is officially the most proper note on which I've ever started a show. So let's dig in now. <laughs> Tell everybody about our game plan for Between the Lines. As a programming note, you can catch us Wednesdays, mid-afternoon Eastern time, early afternoon Pacific time, most weeks of the season. And I'm guessing, Fabian, that might translate to late evening for those on SUMA standard time. Oh, yes, it's um, 8.30. Or now it's um, 8.48 uh, in the evening. So the show usually starts at 8.30 my time. For me, it's a pretty good time. I think uh, for our listeners across the pond, from my point of view, it's also a pretty good time to have some good content um, right after lunch. Absolutely. So we will be talking NFL line movement, looking into what's moved and why. A little reading between the lines, if you will. And for the audience, if you can read between the lines throughout these shows, Odds are you'll use Fabian's insight to inform some pretty sound betting decisions. Fabian, what else do you think about the concept for Between the Lines? Yeah, so I think our approach will be to focus on the biggest line moves that we are going to see um, basically a week to date from Sunday um, overnights until like Wednesday when we record this show. 
Um, I think as a pretty good mark, uh, reference, we are going to use uh, market making books only like um, Circa, um, Bad Chris and maybe Pinnacle. Um, I think we should be fine with those. Um, those are usually the books um, with the highest limits and uh, books who don't kick out any guys with a pulse. Uh, so um, I think that um, reference point from those books will be pretty good. Um, and yeah, I mean, week one, uh, will be a little bit different this week because we had um, ga uh, lines open for these games for like the whole summer. I, th I, th I think since um, April, we have got some lines open, even um, sports books like Circa opened, um, I think in June or July already with uh, 20,000 limits to start, I think, or 10,000 on spreads. Um, yeah, and these markets got got uh, have gotten shaped already a lot over the summer but we are also seeing a lot of line moves this week because even though there are a lot of people already uh, betting these lines over the summer um, the the problem for some major groups is that they um, sometimes don't have the liquidity ready um, until week one um, and um, I mean college football is I think two weeks in and lots of groups uh, want to use their um, existing liquidity on college football. So there's a lot of stuff uh, going on for why some betting groups or some bettors might not get involved before this week. Um, and yeah, we have also seen some major line moves this week from some of these said groups where we uh, will dive in. Um, I think uh, it's also important to note that we will not give out any picks on this show. I'm just uh, going to pause you for one second, because okay. with that note, we'll let about 90% of the audience disappear. Okay. You said no picks, so sorry, okay. everybody. But for those few who remain, I think there's still plenty in store. So go ahead and continue <laughs> there. Yes, uh, we, want, we basically want to um, look at these major line moves every week and try to understand why the markets have moved. Like, um, I mean, you could also make it very easy like, and say there are some groups, they have their models and they move their action accordingly. But I think uh, that would be very lame. So we are, we are going to try to think about um, what um, uh, is the origination of some of these moves, what could be some handicapping angles, some subjective angles that the market is catching up with since the opening lines. Um, usually limits uh, get raised on Tuesday and Wednesday. So on Sunday overnight and Monday Mondays, the limits are usually pretty low, um, which makes it easier to move the market. And um, in, for the NFL, we pretty much um, always, or the, every week we see the um, odd screen um, blinking from left to right on Mondays, where um, betters try to catch some early, mark, uh, early numbers that seem to be off a little bit. Um, and then on Tuesday, Wednesday, when limits get, get raised and when we get the first injury reports on Wednesday, we usually start to see a lot more major line moves. And um, what I think what's also important to note is that in the betting content world, there's often this myth going on that there is a public side and a sharp side. And uh, we are not going to talk about uh, public versus uh, sharps or sharps versus uh, square stuff because the reality is that the public 
usually doesn't move lines. I mean, there are bookmakers um, from all the market making books and risk managers on record on several podcasts every year telling us that they move their numbers based off of sharp action, based off of, based off their sharp uh, customer base, and they don't really care that much about recreational money. Um, so it, it, this will not be a podcast where we talk about public versus sharps. And also in reality, um, it happens very often or a lot. It happens every week in the NFL that sharps or quote unquote sharp betting groups can be on both sides of a certain game. Mm -hmm. That happens a lot, uh, independent of the number. And then we, we also have to include the, the price in the thought process because some groups might bet a game early and other groups might uh, come back on that number later in the week when the market has moved. So that notion that there is a clear public and a clear sharp side uh, doesn't really apply often. Um, and very often it's the case that uh, sharps will be on both sides of the game. One follow-up question for you before we get into some specific games that have seen movement as we approach week one. You talked about week one being a unique marketplace. The lines have been open for months, and yet we have seen a lot of movement already this week. And it hasn't been inconsequential movement. We've seen the Jaguars move through the three to plus two and a half at Washington. Miami moving off the three to minus three and a half hosting the Patriots. Even the Colts moving down from minus eight straight to minus seven. Another key number when we're talking about all this. So just how much weight do you put behind the fact that these numbers have been available for months versus the fact that a lot of the biggest bettors you know, might not be placing their bets until limits are raised when we're much closer to game time. Well, so uh, when we are a few weeks um, out from the from the season still, like let's say in July or August, um, I think Bet Chris had limits of like two to five k on spreads and one to two k on totals um, up until I think late August. So um, there are betters who can already shape the market. Um, with like four figure bets in July and August, uh, which also already gives you some direction of where a certain uh, number might be heading to. And then when we get closer to week one, like especially this week, when limits get raised and we see a lot more money entering the market, um, that uh, first of all means that some bettors are now getting involved that uh, might not have had the liquidity beforehand. And um, it might also be the case that even though the, the early markets got shaped for four months now, it might not be get uh, or might not have gotten shaped enough to a certain point where betting groups that come in with more liquidity now um, are not uh, interested anymore. And what's also important to note is that we also have a lot more information now. Um, mm -hmm. We have some information, for example, today um, there was the news that JJ Watt is still sitting out practice with COVID. Uh, he, he's had COVID, I think, on August 21st, and he's still sitting out. So this is some some kind of information nuggets that comes out, out now that also plays a major role this week. And as we get into week one, we can start talking line movement with the first game of the season, the Thursday night opener, Bills and Rams kicking off at SoFi Stadium. And we've seen some movement on both the side and total here that I think is pretty interesting. Let's talk about the side first. The Rams opened a short favorite. Now the Bills are favored by two and a half. Sumo, what are your thoughts on the favorite flipping in this one? 
Yeah, so um, I think the market-making books like uh, Bet Chris and Circa have opened this game a little bit later than the uh, legal sports books like DK and FanDuel. I think Fa uh, D uh, DraftKings opened this game at um, Rams minus one. Mm -hmm. And then um, over the course of the summer when Circa and Bet Chris opened, I think Bet Chris and Circa both opened this game at Bills minus one. So already flipped uh, through the zero. And since then, it has been mostly, I would really say mostly one-way action. And we are now looking at, um, let me check the odd screen. Um, we are mostly looking at minus two and minus two and a half for the builds across the board. Um, I think that no matter who you talk to, no matter which, which sports better, which media outlet, everyone knows that the Buffalo Bills are the Super Bowl favorites. Uh, going into the season, it seems to be the most complete team. Josh Allen is great. And the Rams have lost a step since their their Super Bowl, which was not, let's say, the most exciting performance throughout the season and um, throughout the playoffs. So I think that the market is telling us that even though the Rams are at, at home, it's their race, race the banner game um, at home on primetime, the market is still telling us that the Bills should be the better team uh, on a neutral field and even at SoFi Stadium. You touched on the fact that we have a lot of information now than we did when some books opened the Rams as favorites. One big piece of information has been a question mark looming over the Rams offseason in training camp, Matthew Stafford's elbow injury. Now it sounds like he'll have no restrictions according to Sean McVay heading into week one. But what do you think matters more in this game when we consider Stafford's elbow for the Rams or perhaps the departure of Brian Dable running the offense for the Bills? Um, I don't think it will be a major issue for the Bills um, because their offensive coordinator has worked, I think, for three years uh, for Brian Dable. And I don't think the offense will change all that much. I think that uh, most of the structure will still be in place. And I'm not really worried about um, any play calling issues um, on the build side. Um, like you said, Stafford's arm looks to be completely fine. Um, there were rumors that he might play through some pain during the season, but he all already did so last season. So I think from that point of view, um, he should be completely fine. And what I want to add is that it's, it's very interesting that um, the Bills are laying two and a half points at SoFi Stadium in their home opener, despite being without their best cornerback. Tredavious White is on IR, I think, for the first four weeks, coming off an ACL injury. So despite all of that, um, the markets are telling us that up to this point, the Bills um, are the better team than the Rams. And with the Bills still laying two and a half despite the absence of Trey White, at that number, a lot of betters would think the Rams could be a good selection as a teaser candidate this week, going up through the key numbers of three and seven to plus eight and a half. Can you make the case against teasing the Rams for anybody who might be looking to make that move? Um, I cannot really make a case against that. Uh, we are talking about a Wong teaser leg. I think the only reservation would be that we are talking about a very high total mm -hmm. and games with high totals have more variance and teaser legs perform worse with um, uh, worth on games with, with very high totals. I think the the usual um, uh, limit is in the 47, 48 range, statistically or historically speaking. Um, 
So that would be my only reservation. But um, I mean, we're still talking about a very good team that won the Super Bowl, that has a very good offensive structure in place. That is um, a defense that, that has lost a step talent-wise, but is still filled with with playmakers on all three levels. So it's it's hard for me, um, independent of the total, to make a strong case against the teaser leg. Let's keep talking about that total. We saw it open in the range of 51 and a half, got as high as 52 and a half. We've seen some buyback. What do you make of the total right now for the season opener? Yeah, so th- there wasn't really a lot of movement um, on the total over the summer. And then I think it was last week, uh, there was a um, sharp release on, on the on the over, uh, which pushed the over, I think, to, to as high as 53 and then we saw a another group um, coming back on the under 52 and a half, 53 in that range. And now we are basically looking at uh, 52 across the board. Uh, Pinnacle is under 52 minus 08. Chris at, is at uh, 52 flat. Circa Colorado is uh, the one of the market lows at 51 and a half. Um, it, it's going to be pretty interesting where that uh, total ultimately will settle. 51 is a key number. Uh, also going to be interesting if we see maybe some more Rams money leading up to the game. I cannot imagine this game will touch a plus three for the Rams. Even if it does, I think there will be some immediate buyback um, at, on the Rams at a plus three. So I think that spread should settle somewhere in the range of minus, uh, uh, minus one and a half to minus two and a half for the Bills. Let's move on to the Sunday slate and talk about a week one divisional matchup. The Saints at the Falcons. New Orleans opened in the range of minus four at a lot of books. Currently, the line seems to be painted Saints minus five and a half. Now, Fabian, I thought a few weeks ago this was destined to hit six and maybe even cross through the six up to six and a half. But it seems like the market respecting what we saw out of both Falcons quarterbacks throughout the preseason do you think the betting market is experiencing a bit of a change of heart when it comes to the Falcons after so much of the offseason? It seemed like they were on the short list for people talking worst team in the league. Yeah, so um, what's so interesting about the Falcons is that even though they might be one of the worst teams in the league, and I mean, last year they have, in terms of their, their win-loss record, they have overperformed. And going to the offseason, everyone was talking about the Falcons being a potentially being a contender for the first overall pick and uh, the team would be in a reset mode. But I think that at home at plus six, there might be a decent buy point for, for a few groups out there. So I don't really think that we are going to see a market that moves to, to six and potentially settles there. So I think the Falcons at home at plus six might be a buy point for some groups. And what's interesting about the Falcons is that I mean, their defense could be legit, be one of the worst in the league, but the offense has some variance to the upside with Marcus Mariota, who is much better with his legs than Matt Ryan was, and Arthur Smith wants to run a very play-action, bootleg um, kind of offense. They have two playmakers with Kyle Pitts and potentially the the rookie Drake London. So um, I, I, I can imagine a scenario in which some betters are seeking a buy point of plus six uh, for the Falcons here. Uh, we have only seen movement from uh, four and a half to five and a half over the summer. That's not a pretty significant move because the four and the five are not um, spreads that have a very big value whatsoever. Um, but I think 
this game being at minus five and a half for the Saints on the road also tells the story that the Saints could be a pretty decent team and the Falcons could be one of the worst. Absolutely. Well, if we want to hop from the NFC South to the AFC East, another divisional matchup that's seen some intriguing movement. The Dolphins taking some money as they prepare to host the Patriots. Miami currently laying three and a half. Now this one open three actually got bet down, was hanging out at two and a half most of the summer, got bet back up to minus three from Miami the Sunday morning of preseason week three. And then yesterday, another key tick up off of the three to Dolphins minus three and a half. What do you make of the roller coaster ride it has been for the point spread in this Patriots Dolphins week one matchup? Yeah, so like you have explained, uh, earlier in the summer, it was a very soft three at some books. Then we, we saw a downtick to two and a half. And then I, I think since uh, two weeks or two or three weeks ago, it's been one-way action all the way. I have not seen anyone either on gambling Twitter or anyone that I know that um, has played the Patriots so far, which is uh, pretty interesting. Um at minus two and a half, we saw um, saw several groups and several um, sharp youths releasing the the dolphins, uh, betting the dolphins at minus two and a half, minus one ten, minus two and a half, one twenty. Then uh, I think on Tuesday morning, uh, a major group laid all the threes that were still in the marketplace at uh, at minus three flat, uh, bring bring that line towards uh, minus three and a half. And I cannot disagree with that move at all. I think we we have some uncertainty with the Dolphins when we talk about how good can Tua Tagovailoa actually be in his third year with a much better supporting cast and maybe a much better coaching staff. There's uncertainty about Mike McDaniel. There's uncertainty about uh, the ceiling of their offensive line, e- even though they added uh, left tackle uh, Teron Armstead. Um, but I think... And this is why I think the market has moved entirely on the Dolphins is that there's like nothing positive coming out of Patriots camp. Um, I think the Patriots could be one of the worst defenses in the league this year, or at least one of the worst defenses in Bill Belichick's era. Um, And when I look at this matchup, I mean, betters probably have to ask themselves, um, do the Patriots have the bodies on their defense to cover Terry Kill and Jalen Waller? And if the answer is no, it probably makes sense to uh, to lay the three with the Dolphins earlier this week. Um, and coming back to that uncertainty, there's also uncertainty with the Patriots because Josh McDaniels is, is gone. Um, and now we have Matt Patricia. Sorry, I, I have to laugh about this. We have Matt Patricia and Joe Judge working on the offense, installing a new scheme, a completely new run blocking scheme from uh, what the Patriots have run for like 10 to 20 for, for the past uh, 10 years under Josh McDaniels. And everything, every beat reporter has said that they have some tremendous issues, that the offense is not clicking already, that they might need some time early in, in the season. And from that perspective, I think that move up to minus three and a half makes completely sense. I think that last point also ties in with some movement we've seen on the total for this game. Our mutual friend Adam Chernoff is the one who I've seen making the most noise about the fact that the Patriots essentially eliminated the fullback position from their roster. Mm -hmm. So on one hand, we've got Matt Patricia and Joe Judge, of all people, commanding an NFL offense by the looks of it. And on the other hand, it could be a much more pass-heavy Patriots offense this season after Mac Jones showed quite a bit of promise in his rookie year. 
That plus what you talked about with Tua maybe making that year three leap has led to a lot of action on the over in this game. What do you make of that movement on the total? I'll let you take a yeah. sip first. <laughs> no, no problem. Um, yeah, uh, the total was, I think it opened as, as early as 44, early in the summer. Um, then um, Adam Chernoff was also part of uh, bringing this total up to uh, 46 and a half. And it, I think it was as high as 47. Mm -hmm. And then we saw some buy work, I think, which I can understand because at 47, we the market has touched a key number. And to be honest, at 47, I can understand that some people come back on that game playing the under um, because when I think about that matchup and when we also combine uh, or include the information that there are some very sharp people out there that have already bet the Dolphins through the key number of three towards minus three and a half, I think there's a scenario in this game where the Dolphins are good on offense and at some point, the game script gets extremely tough for the Patriots. And then I think as an over better, you, ha you have to ask yourself the question, can the Dolphins defense, uh, uh, sorry, can the Patriots offense keep up and keep scoring against that Mike McDaniel offense that might be very clever at uh, running the ball in the fourth quarter? Well, from one AFC divisional matchup to another, our third straight division matchup in week one to kick off this show. And we're not done yet. Uh, heading up to the AFC South, Indianapolis traveling to Houston, another game with side and total movement in recent days. The side was pretty much painted Colts minus eight for about four months. And we saw it go straight down to seven yesterday. Didn't even really blink at seven and a half. Why do you think that was? And what do you make of that move? That was exactly one very, very big betting group uh, where that move originated that uh, uh, basically cleared house and took all the eights and all the seven and a halves on the Texans yesterday and brought this back to, uh, brought this down to seven. The, the, it, it was really, like you said, it was painted at, at eight all the way. And then it was one group yesterday um, catching the uh, home dog uh, over a touchdown. And when I see this line stuck at seven now, I wonder if it might be a bit of a wet blanket for teaser betters. Oftentimes it's discussed about the value in teasing through seven rather than starting at seven and teasing down to one. Also with road favorites, that can be a little bit dicey when we're talking about teasers. So when we are talking about teams that a lot of betters will look to tease in week one, any advice from you as a professional better to people considering teasing the Colts at the Texans? Yeah, so when it comes to teasing, um, yes, we always want to go through the seven and through the three. And now we always have to incorporate the concept of closing line value. So um, some might think, okay, then I have to wait until game time. I need to know where the line settles. And if it settles at eight, I can tease it down to minus two. But what's even better is if you, if you think the calls are the side here, and you want to include the calls in one of your teasers, you would want to get it now at minus one, and you want that number to get better in your favor. So let's say you take the calls now at minus one. That's not technically a wrong teaser leg, but if the calls, or if you think the calls close at minus eight, for example, you would have made a teaser leg that's not technically a wrong teaser leg, but that has a lot of closing line value. So which makes it still a very, very good bet. So um, yeah, the, the most optimal way, way is um, that you get a teaser, place a good bet 
that closes higher at what you got earlier in the week. And I know we haven't talked about this previously, but I would bet that if you were to guess, if you were told this game doesn't close Colts minus seven, probably a good bit more likely it goes back up to seven and a half rather than down to six and a half. Does that sound right to you? I think so. I I can really see that uh, game coming off the seven. When we also think about last year, um, I could be wrong on this, but I think last year between the two teams, we were talking about spreads in the nine to 10 range or eight, let's say eight to 10 range. So I think last year, uh, the, the spreads closed higher than what we are seeing now for this matchup. And then you have to think about, depending on what side you want to bet, um, what has changed changed since then. The Texans, they are much healthier on the offensive line. Davis Mills is entering his second year. Quarterbacks usually make a significant jump going into year two. Um, but the Colts also have a much better quarterback than last year. They have some... Uh, new pieces on defense. They have also have a new uh, defensive coordinator. They are going to play a new scheme, but you have to weight these things against one another and think about, is this adjustment from last season? We can always reference to, to, to past games because things change um, over time, but um, it, it's, I think in my opinion, it's an interesting thought process. So when we saw a spread of nine or nine and a half or 10 last season, and now it's seven, do the do all the offseason changes um, warrant that line moved down to seven? And when you think they don't, you might want to grab the calls. And if you think they do, you still might be interesting in some Texans plus seven. Or if you think that there is going to be some buyback on the calls, you might want to grab the the Texans later in the week. And if you think the side is right at this stage, it might also behoove better to look at the total. You mentioned Davis Mills, some optimism perhaps for the Texans offense, Andy's defense, some question marks after some changes during the offseason. And offensively, it's pretty much, I think, a unanimous agreement across the betting marketplace that Matt Ryan represents an upgrade over what the Colts got from Carson Wentz last season. And part of that could be explained by what we've seen with this total opening at 44, getting as high as 47, now settling for the most part right around 46. What do you make of the movement we've seen on the total for this one between the Colts and Texans? Yeah, the pretty interesting movement. Um, um, there was a release. Um, I think it was also our, our friend Adam who released the over on Houston and Indianapolis. Then it got as high as 47, as, as you mentioned. And since then, it's pretty, pretty much been one-way action. And again, I think that the fact that this game touched the key number of 47 was probably a pretty good buy point for some betters and some some groups out there to get the under. Um, I think if you want to bet the over, let's say at the current number, um, I don't have a strong opinion on, on the total at all. But if I, I would attack this this specific market, I was I was think about I would think about do the Texans have enough firepower to score on that Colts defense or do they have enough firepower to score late in the game if the Colts jump out to a lead because the Colts um, they are minus seven on the road for a reason so the game script that we have to anticipate is that the Colts are going to be leading in this game and if the Colts offense is clicking they also have a lot of ingredients to just kill the clock later in the second half run the ball 
play that Smash Mouth uh, spread Powerball that Frank like that Frank Reich loves to play. The Texans defense is not very good at all, so there could be a scenario in which the Colts jump out to a lead, and then you have to ask yourself the question: Do the Texans have enough on offense to throw the ball when the Colts defense knows what's coming? A lot to consider from a game script standpoint when we're looking at a spread in this range. We can move on to a game with a tighter point spread right now involving another AFC South team. The Jaguars heading to Washington to take on the Commanders. It's going to take a bit of time to get used to saying Washington Commanders, but got it right the first time around. The Jags down to plus two and a half. This one opened three and a half. I saw it get as high as plus four and a half for Jacksonville during the offseason. In late August, we saw a move come in, bringing this number down from three and a half to three. Yesterday, another big tick down off the three to plus two and a half. Now, I know Chase Young is out. I know a lot of people think Trevor Lawrence can thrive in year two under Doug Peterson with some competent coaching. Why else do you think we've seen such a strong move in favor of the Jags when we look at the side here? I just think that there is too much optimism in the marketplace for the Jacksonville Jaguars. They got hyped all offseason and I think also for a reason because when you go from that complete mess of a coaching disaster, what Urban Meyer was last year, just going to Doug Peterson who has won a Super Bowl uh, five years ago and represents what I would call at least competent coaching, I think... And then you have to combine with a quarterback that was touted like as the next Andrew Luck as a generational talent. Um, I think last year you saw some of the high marks uh, for Trevor Lawrence. He was just put in a bad position. So I think if the market believes that this is going to be a different Jacksonville Jaguars team um, and a team that's going to be significantly improved from last year. Trevor Lawrence going into his second year under Doug Peterson. They have some new playmakers. Their defensive front looked kind of promising um, during the, the preseason. So from that perspective, I think I completely understand that move. Um, Washington Commanders, I mean, it's Carson Wentz. And <laughs> we have no clue how that's going to play out. There's always a lot of variance in his game. I don't think you want him to be like that game manager th that the Colts tried for some parts last season. You, I think you have to write that P. Carson Wentz variance where he can have so some of these games where he just throws some bombs down the field and is very good on third down. And I think that's what you have to write. And then um, if you match that up against each other, I can totally understand why the market has a lot, a lot more optimism um, on the Jaguars at three or had a lot more optimism at three or three and a half than they had for the Washington Commanders laying a field goal at home. You touched on a lot of the unknown with Carson Wentz and knowing that he's such a high variance quarterback, I feel like we might have an odd degree of familiarity in this one at the same time, considering Doug Peterson was once his coach in Philadelphia and the Jags were the last team to face Carson Wentz when they beat the Colts in week 18 last season. What do you make of any edges that might give the Jaguars defense against a new look Washington offense? I think that's very, very hard to quantify because we don't have a lot of data on that stuff. It's not really common that uh, we have a quarterback in week one playing against his former coach and uh, the, the same two teams going up against each other after they did last year in week 17. We also have a whole new coaching staff for, for the Jaguars. Um, so 
it's very hard to quantify. I think if you combine that subjectively for a little bit and say, okay, that little angle might be something that pushes me over the edge and makes me uh, bet the Jaguars for uh, for that specific reason. I think it's, I would not say you should not apply it, but in general, it's very, very hard to quantify these things. Got it. Well, another move that's been tough for me to quantify recently can take us to the late window of games on Sunday of week one. Let's talk Chiefs Cardinals, Kansas City up to minus six. And this line was at three. It sat there for more than three months. It was even shaded toward two and a half at one point. And we saw this line move from three and a half up to four and a half at about this time last week. Then we saw another power move from four and a half up to six yesterday. Why do you think that is? And what do you think the ceiling is for this point spread? I think the ceiling is six. Um, I think that I would be really surprised if we saw some six and a half popping later in the week. I think plus six for the Cardinals at home is a pretty solid buy point for some people out there. Um, yeah, it was uh, yesterday morning, Tuesday morning, where a sharp uh, group uh, moved the Chiefs from minus four, minus four and a half up to minus six. I think there's not a lot of love for the Cardinals in the marketplace right now. Their defense could be really bad this year. J.J. Watt, like I mentioned earlier, is still sitting out practice with his or of his COVID absence in August. So there might be a chance that J.J. Watt is not going to play and he's like arguably their best player left. And even he is still a little bit on the decline in recent years. So um, I think people are say or people who bet the Chiefs up to minus six are just saying the Cardinals are not a great team early in the season. They are without Andrew Hopkins. Zach Earth is still holding out of practice. Maybe he might not play or end up playing uh, on Sunday. And yeah, the Chiefs are still the Chiefs. <laughs> Patrick Mahomes and Reed, aside of Tyreek Hill, nothing or not a lot has uh, really changed. And yeah, I think this is a very bad matchup for the Cardinals defense. And I can understand why teams are trying to fade them in week one against the Chiefs. I think you caught yourself there. You said the Chiefs are still the Chiefs. And then you noted that Tyreek Hill has left that offense. And that's probably a pretty significant departure in the eyes of many who would be looking the Cardinals way at this stage. What do you think of the Chiefs offense entering the season without Tyreek Hill and with some other new faces replacing him at wide receiver? I think they will be completely fine. Um, yes, losing Ty Tyreek Hill is a pretty big deal. But I also think we have to give Andy Reid and Patrick Mahomes the benefit of the doubt that they will figure it out. And what's so funny is that, Matt, last season there was all the talk about the Chiefs, like they are struggling against too high. Mahomes is not his uh, is not himself anymore. So many turnovers. And I think the Chiefs had the seventh most turnovers on offense in the entire league. They only had one fewer turnovers than the New York Jets which is pretty amazing to think about. And they struggle against all these two high shells early in the season. And despite all of that, despite all the turnovers, despite all the struggling against too high, I think they still finished as the number one offense in EPA per play in the regular season and the playoffs. So I think that offense will be completely fine. And even last season, they figured it out on the fly. Um, from weeks 10 to week 18, the Chiefs had the lowest average depth of targets. So Mahomes was attempting the lowest air yards per throw. 
but the Chiefs had the highest or third or second highest yards after the catch per play. So they are they were basically saying, okay, we cannot give uh, we cannot get all these or all our explosive plays because teams are uh, taking them away. So let's change the offense a little bit. Let's throw it short and uh, let's create lots of great windows for our receivers to run after after the catch. And from week ten on, they were the number one offense in EPA per dropback. So I really trust that coaching staff to figure it out without Tyreek Hill. So you think the Chiefs are going to be just fine? And in our next game, we can talk about a couple of offenses that people also probably think are going to be just fine. But that might not necessarily be the case right out of the gates with some new players, personnel-wise for the Packers, coaching-wise for the Vikings. And when it comes to this line, we've seen an opener as high as 50 at one of the sharpest books in the world, down as low as 46 and a half at one point. We have seen it come up a bit, settling in around 47. What do you make of the total movement we've seen in Packers-Vikings? Yes, um, I, I know I, I know from some sharp bettors that were taking the unders on Green Bay and Minnesota uh, earlier in August, I think in early August, and then in mid-August, they were taking some of the 49s out there in the marketplace. Then at some point it was down to 48. And then I think, this week, we also saw, saw a, a release um, on the under, which uh, drove the market down even further to, as you mentioned, as low as 46 and a half, I think. And now we have some buyback on the over. And again, it's again the Kinema 47. So a back and forth. And again, um, sharp people are going to bet both sides of a total and both sides of a, of a game. Some have um, um, under 49, under 48 and a half, under 48 in their pockets. And some will have over 46 and a half and over 47. So it's a pretty interesting back and forth. I think I can understand the early movement on the under because we are talking about a Packers offense that is without Devontae Adams. And I think that matters a little bit more than Tyreek Hill matters for the Chiefs because Devontae Adams was just like a focal point, such a crazy focal point of the offense. I think Aaron Rodgers um, said in some interview over the summer that basically every passing play started with where is Devontae Adams lined up. So this is going to be a pretty pretty dramatic shift for the offense. Alan Lazard might also not play this week. We don't we didn't know that before this week, but the Vikings have a new coaching staff, a new offensive scheme. Um, the Packers defense got better. The Packers offense might struggle a little bit early in the season. So I think that's the rational thought process behind people betting that under earlier this summer. You've touched on it a couple of times now during the course of this show, 47 being a key number when we're talking totals. I think it's much more widely known that numbers like three and seven are really important as we talk sides. And when it comes to totals, especially as the league has seen a higher scoring environment in recent years, could you just share some context as to what you consider some of the key numbers around totals when you're considering as a pro how to bet on overs or unders? Yeah, so over the past couple of seasons, I think the average scoring total for NFL games is right around somewhere 47, um, 47 point something, I think. Um, yeah, so... Key numbers for totals are like 44, 47, 51 nowadays. 51 uh, got, let's say, more keyish over over the over recent years with an uptick in scoring and uptick in passing efficiency. We we see more games um, 
um, going or being a very high total. So 51 has gotten more important in, in recent uh, uh, years. Um, on low scoring games, we have key numbers of 41, for example, 43 a little bit, 44, like 24, 20 is, is, a, is a score that's not very um, seldom. Um, yeah, and um, over the years with, with an uptick in scoring, uptick in passing efficiency, the value of the key numbers has shifted a little bit towards the upper side. So 47 and 51 got a little bit more important in recent uh, years. All right. And Suma, as you talk about 51 being a key number these days, that transitions us perfectly to the final game we'll talk about on this first episode of Between the Lines, the Sunday night season opener, the Bucks at the Cowboys. That total sitting at 51 right now at some books, sitting at 50 and a half at some others. And we had a market maker open at 53. We've seen it go down to 50, now coming back up again. And this has been another roller coaster ride of a market, the Bucks. Offensive line beleaguered. Tom Brady left the team for a while during training camp. And then seemingly as soon as he came back into the fold, the Cowboys had some key injuries on their offensive line and now also at wide receiver. So what do you make of where the toast stands right now, just a few days out from the Bucks and Cowboys kicking off on Sunday night? Yeah, I don't think that the opener was wrong or was completely off in, in any way or shape. Um, I think based on what we saw last season, that matchup had the potential to be very high scoring but over the summer like every single news on these two teams was pointing towards the under like uh, Dallas uh, losing Amari Cooper uh, Dallas losing James Washington in the offseason then Tyron Smith at some point um, and on the Bucks you already mentioned it like their O-line issues especially on the interior they are starting their I think third string center now um, and Chris Godwin might be still out for this game. Um, they lost Antonio Brown already at some point last season. They will be without Rob Gronkowski. So, like every news on this team, maybe aside from the, the Julia Jones news, who might be, when healthy, be a very, very valuable um, asset for this offense, so has pointed towards this game not necessarily be a very high-scoring game. So I completely understand and agree with the move down through the number of 51 and um, now we have seen this game uh, ticking up a little bit um, towards um, a a pinnacle is showing 50 and a half Uh, Chris is showing 51 shade a little bit towards the over Um, uh, Circa Las Vegas Circa Colorado also 51 um, yeah and I will be it will be interesting to see where that number will ultimately settle will be Below the key number will be um, above the key number. I think there were there, there were some pretty strong stances from some sharp betters earlier this summer on the under. So I cannot really see. Or let's say I can rather see that game coming down again towards 55, uh, 50 and a half, rather than it climbing towards fifty one and a half again. One question I'd like to throw your way that might lend itself just a bit to an over. You touched on the Bucks' offensive line being beat up, but specifically on the interior. And throughout Tom Brady's career, I've heard over and over again that the thing that bothers him most is pressure up the middle. Now, if we look at this matchup with the Cowboys, it seems like their pass rush excels most along the edges, especially with Micah Parsons being such a revelation last year in his rookie season. So what do you make of the fact that, yes, the Bucks' offensive line is probably going to be vulnerable up the middle, 
but that doesn't necessarily play to the Cowboys' strength as a pass rushing unit. Yes, you're completely right. And this will be very fascinating and probably the most important matchup to watch. Like, how is Dan Quinn going to scheme up pressure up the middle? Like, is he going to blitz a lot? Is he uh, calling some sim pressures to um, play play around a little bit with that uh, third string center? And what he could also do is like, yes, Mika Parsons, I expect him to, be, or to play a lot more on the edges. But I can also see like, Dan Quinn using Micah Parsons as a pass rusher, as a pass rusher or a blitzer up the middle on like key passing downs, and that will be interesting to see because I don't think that interior offensive line will be able to handle Micah Parsons as a rusher up the middle. All right, I think that's about all the guidance we can provide at this stage of Week One in the NFL. So we'll go ahead and wrap it up. For the audience listening or watching this, you can find Fabian on Twitter at Suma810. That's S-U-U-M-A-810. And also elsewhere on the Hammer Betting Network, Mondays, look out for his article at thehammer.bet, outlining his top takeaways from the Sunday slate. And that article series is going to debut this coming Monday, September 12th. You can find me on Twitter at mlandis18, also hosting the Props and Hops flagship episode on Fridays throughout the season with new co-host, another pro better, the Hitman. And for those of you who know Hitman's work, you can bet safely that he's going to bring the props to props and hops in a major way. If you'd like to keep up with all things happening across the hammer, follow at the hammer HQ on Twitter and check us out at www.thehammer.bet. Thanks again to everybody for tuning in. I'll see you again Friday with the Hitman for the season debut of Props and Hops. All right, but Suma, as far as our first episode of Between the Lines goes, it's been an absolute blast doing this with you. Look forward to doing it again every Wednesday throughout the season. And once again, cheers, man. Cheers, Matt. Can't wait for next week. Yeah.